Hello and welcome to episode 92 of the Red Zone Restricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin to look back on some of the week's big Liverpool stories and preview the game against Brighton. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So the international break is now behind us. Plenty of notable stories really from a Liverpool point of view. You saw Darwin Nunez score for Uruguay in a win against Canada. Virgil van Dijk scored for the Netherlands, who I think are in the Nations League finals now. Um, kept a couple of clean sheets as well. Mo Salah was on the score sheet with a double against Niger. And Diego Jota um, found it at two for Portugal against the Czech Republic. And also, you know, in terms of maybe future Liverpool players, we'd like to think Jude Bellingham uh, certainly creating even more buzz with his performance for England against Germany. But the big headline from a Liverpool perspective was probably someone who wasn't playing for their country, and that was Trent Alexander-Arnold. So, obviously, England played against Italy and Germany, and Trent, I think I'm right in saying, didn't play a single minute across those two games. So, Chris, what did you think of his omission from any sort of playing minutes over those two games? Uh, Good afternoon, Dave. Um, Yeah, (laughs) It was strange because, of course, when he didn't get any minutes against Italy, I think we were all effectively presuming that he'd play against Germany because it was a game that you could say, yes, it was England's last game before Qatar, but ultimately it was a dead rubber. England were relegated. Germany weren't going to finish top of the group. So to not include him in the 23 at all was really quite mind-boggling when I saw that. But, of course, from a Liverpool perspective, that means far less chance of injuries. He's been in training today, so I'm sure Jurgen Klopp will have put his arm around him and treat him well like Jurgen Klopp has always done so. However, I'm pretty sure the big thing that we'll be touching on was his quote comparing, if you like, Trent Alexander-Arnold to Kieran Trippier, or at least saying that Kieran Trippier's all-round game was... Or is better than Trent Alexander-Arnold. And you just have to look at the stats to see that that isn't the case. You just have, you know, even the stats this season, yes, Alexander-Arnold has not had a great start to the season by his standards. Liverpool haven't had a great start to the season by their standards. But you just have to look at the stats. I'm looking at, um, the, because there was a comparison that was tweeted, I don't know whether you saw it, there was a comparison that was tweeted by, a, by Squawker. And Trent has had more touches, more ball recoveries, created more chances per 90 minutes, attempted more passes per 90 minutes, passes completed, pass accuracy, long passes attempted, long pass accuracy. I mean, (laughs) there's a lot more that I could even go on here. Crossing accuracy, take on success. It's 100% per 90 minutes. It really is incredible to... Of those stats, and just basically watching football to say that Trent Alexander-Arnold is not all-round better than Kieran Trippier, and that is not to disrespect Kieran Trippier. I have a lot of respect for him. He's a very good footballer, has done very well for England in the past, and Gareth Southgate, I think we know, has his favourites that he likes to rely on. But don't come out with statements saying that Kieran Trippier is all-round better than Trent Alexander-Arnold because it just isn't the case, is it? We are going to come on to those quotes. Um, in a bit more depth 
in a second. I guess from a Liverpool point of view, it's mutually, well, sort of duly advantageous. Um, on the one hand, you've got the fact that Trent isn't playing minutes. He's not adding fatigue. He's not risking injury. And by the looks of it now, I would say Trent is going to be in the squad. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, Southgate. Won't want to deviate too much from the selection this month, um, I wouldn't say. There'll maybe be a couple of tweaks. But I also think he's not going to risk the kind of furore that would come with leaving Trent out of the squad altogether. I think that is too much of a headline for him before the tournament because it's already going to be a big debate anyway. But, you know, if you don't include him at all, then I think you're putting a target on your back even more so. And the other aspect of it is I think Trent is going to have a chip on his shoulder now. Um. Because I think back to the springtime of the 2021 season, season behind closed doors. Aston Villa. I'm pretty sure, yeah, he got left out of a squad altogether or something very similar to this anyway, went down. It's almost the same kind of thing playing out. And obviously he had that winning goal against Aston Villa, like you mentioned, one of his his best goals really. And that was kind of his big sort of middle finger to, to Gareth Southgate, if you like. But also, I feel as if that season as a whole was a little bit kind of a drawn-out version in some respects of what we've seen at the start of this season um, in terms of his form and performance levels. But in that final stretch of games where Liverpool obviously put put together a great run, picked up a lot of points to to get third place when it looked at one point like they weren't going to be in the top four at all, Trent kind of did recover his form. And if he does need that impetus now, Maybe this is actually what provides it because, you know, that extra motivation, that drive to obviously he'll be thinking about forcing his way into the starting eleven, but also I think that's unlikely now. I think, you know, the odds are, given that that was the last game before Qatar, when Southgate picks his team against Iran, it's going to be one of James or Trippier starting at right back. You know, all, all signs point to that. I think now it's more about almost... You know, obviously he can, he can think about forcing his way into it, but I think it's going to be more about proving that he's wrong, um, certainly over the long term and o- over the course of the full season. So I think Liverpool can use that to their advantage as well, even though that's less tangible. So it very much looks like Trent will be in there in the squad, um, but probably not playing a lot. And I guess from a strictly Liverpool standpoint, I think that that is good news. Um, it's just a shame to see a player of, of his caliber be disrespected really and I, you know I think Reese James is brilliant and I'm not going to get into comparing all three right backs but what I will say is the notion that Trippier is kind of a better right back ultimately than Trent is one that does baffle me a little bit to be honest um, but the thing I want to come back to with that quote and you know you obviously got the stats which suggest that his understanding is is a bit flawed, let's say. But what do you think of it from a management point of view? Because there was a lot of tweets I read this week, Chris, saying that is terrible man management. To talk about one of your own players like that, you're just going to absolutely sort of shatter their confidence and that shows like a, a key weakness with Southgate. So what did you make of it from that point of view? Making it so public is certainly not something that I would have done. If you're going to have that opinion about someone, and we can all have opinions about 
different players, of course. Have a word with him back door, you know, backstage. Just say, you know, you're a good player, but you need to improve on this. You need to improve on this. I think Trippier is slightly better in this area than you and, and things like that. But to go so public with it, it kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And I think th- there's a lot of Liverpool fans as well that we, we have seen it, haven't we, that won't necessarily be bothered about England in the, in the winter, only bothered about making sure Alexander-Arnold is, is fit and healthy. But we are we are talking about a generational talent here. And when you're seeing all the ex-pros talk about it, Rio Ferdinand is absolutely adamant, isn't he? He's just, he, he, he can't understand it. Gary Lineker can't understand it. I think Henry Winter um, has made some magnificent points. I mean, he, he is a wonderful journalist anyway, but some of the points he's been making this week, you know, what Alexander Arnold has achieved in the game, you don't achieve those things as part of a team without being good enough to get into that team. And, you know, if, if he's good enough for Jurgen Klopp, then Gareth Southgate better believe that he's good enough for him. And I think that how public it was, because you hear one or two quotes and you wonder where they've come from. And, you know, you, I, I never like to um, react to quotes unless I see them from creditable sources. And then every man and his dog reported them. And I'm, I'm thinking, it's not a good look, that. It's really not a good look to, to make it so public. Um, and as you say, Rhys James is a brilliant player. Kieran Trippier is a brilliant player. But how about, instead of making it public your opinions on them, how about you leave it to sort of the football Twitter community and the TikTok community and whatever and let them discuss who they think is the best. How about you just keep your opinions to yourself but in house, you you know, you know, his, his team selections made it clear that he doesn't really fancy Trent Alexander Arnold in his system. Okay, fine, but don't make it so public. And the notion that Alexander Arnold isn't hurt by this, I, I I think he will. And as you say, he's got a chip on his shoulder. But if now, if between now and the World Cup, he puts in these unbelievable performances, as we hope that he does anyway, from a Liverpool perspective. It would be very tough to see South to see Gareth Southgate make a decision against him. I think, and that that was kind of on my mind a little bit when I, when I was making that point about you know the unlikelihood of him forcing his way into the side, and there is still there's thirteen games between now and then for Liverpool. But I think you've got to sort of cast your mind back in a way, and there's been loads of I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but over sort of Southgate's whole tenure. Trent's barely played, really. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I saw that. And also, when you talk about the... Because it, it's famous for the four right-backs selected, isn't it? Kyle Walker yeah. plays centre-back in Southgate's system. So it's effectively, you know, it, it's three, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, there's a, there's a huge amount of, of composition in the position. I, I just think that, like I say, all signs point to sort of a, a reserve role in the tournament, maybe playing... Um, whether he come on as a substitute, whether he's going to play in maybe the third group game if they've already got progression, things like that. Um, you know, maybe it'd be similar to the, the last World Cup in that sense. I, I think he played in the sort of third place playoff match or, or something like that. Um, he really, played in the, in the third group game, I remember. Yeah. So maybe when the stakes are a little bit reduced um, in a way. But obviously, Southgate's got his own sort of style as well. And people will talk about whether Trent fits into that. Maybe he's sort of too um, attack minded. How much does you know playing a three at the back, for example, offset that? All those things are areas you could discuss as well. 
Um, in terms of the quote, I didn't think it was that terrible a thing to say. I think it's pretty much self-evident that he thinks that. Maybe you're right, it should have been expressed behind closed doors. Maybe he needed to make it game-specific and say, tactically, we think uh, Trippier is better against um, playing against Germany, for example, um, as opposed to just straight up coming out and saying, you know, he's ahead, he's better as, a, as an all-rounder. Um, maybe that's not the best way to handle it. I don't think it was terrible man management, um, but perhaps it could have been a little bit more kind of a, of a softer hand there. And I guess the final thing I'll say on this before we move on is, you know, we've spoken about it on here, we acknowledge it. Trent's been in poor form to start the season. Some of the worst kind of form you'll see from him really at Liverpool. And on, you know, people have spoken for years about England managers just going for the big names and at the expense of players who were in form. Um, and that being sort of the downfall of the national side. And I accept that, you know, you can pick players on form at times. And, and if it is going to be a purely form based selection, then okay, maybe Trent doesn't deserve to play, but also you can't adopt that thinking and then play Harry Maguire, who has basically been, you know, been forced out with the United team because Eric Ten Hag seems to have finally realised he's not good enough. And then, you know, to produce the performance he did against Germany kind of just makes a mockery of that whole kind of line of thinking, I suppose. So that's the, one of the issues I have with it. But yeah. anyway, we'll move on to... Um, more Liverpool-centric matters. Um, and we've seen a couple of players uh, return into training today, or three players to be precise. Um, and the big boost, really, the big um, star who's back on the training fields in Kirby is um, Ibrahima Kanate. So how big a boost is that, Chris? Are we thinking it's just going to be good in terms of, you know, we've got this mad stretch of games now. Just good to have that extra option for for depth reasons, or is it going to be Kanate elevates the back four? Is there an attribute or attributes that, that he has that Liverpool have actually been missing early in the season, do you think? I think it's a potential game-changing boost, to be honest, Dave, because Kanate, his pace really does help with the high line. And I think Liverpool play the high line quite well, but there's games, say, for example, Napoli away where if Liverpool get it wrong then the high line gets quite brutally exposed and Canate towards the back end of last season purely for the fact he started in the Champions League final just showed the form that he came into now I think at the moment when playing at the peak of all their powers Joel Matip is the best partner for Virgil van Dijk at the moment but it feels like Kanate is the is the heir to Matip, really, doesn't it? He's got pace, he's got power, his passing has got a lot better as well, and his understanding of the game. I, I, I you know, from a France perspective as well, I think I genuinely think if going forward in the, in the future, because Saliba and Kanate are two wonderful young centre backs. You know, you, you couldn't beat any of them in a foot race, could you, could you if, if you're a forward player? And I think Canate is in the in the Van Dyke mould as well, just his understanding of the game. I wouldn't necessarily start him this weekend, 
because you know he's only just come back um, after best part of two months out. But certainly for Rangers, I would look at starting him uh, in the week. And it's just good to have him back because, as you say, at least it's another option given it's 13 games. So there's no free space between now and the World Cup. Um, even if you include the Derby game at home, and which we imagine will be a, a much changed game, uh, team against Derby County. But yeah, it, it was a massive boost. And because I think when, when he went off against Strasbourg, we all, we didn't really know what to think of it. But, um, you know, thankfully it's not too bad. And he's back at a time where Liverpool could really do with him. Yeah, I mean, two months out with a sort of a, a contact knee injury, what it looked like. If someone had offered you that at the time, you'd be like, okay, that's a blow, but we can kind of live with it. Um, and also the timing of his return and to, to miss a stretch that was quite disrupted as well. You know, it's kind of worked out okay for us um, in that sense. I think in terms of the attributes that he has, the way I look at it, looked at it, and I wrote an article about this last week, is if you take sort of Gomez and Matip, I think you get kind of the best of both with Kanate and yeah. undecided on who I think is, you know, the the better out of him and Matip at this moment in time. But I think I think you know compared to Matip, he's not as good on the ball in terms of his passing isn't quite as good, and also he doesn't have the same sort of ball carrying effect um at this stage in his career I, I hope that's something that you can develop because it's, it's a very powerful weapon to have a center back that can do that but he also brings kind of the additional speed and strength that we might associate more with gomez i think that was something we talked about a lot on this podcast last season when we were doing team selections is anytime we were facing like a really physical striker the, the consensus seemed to be lean towards kanate rather than matip because you know we might have a little bit more in, in the way of bulk, um, and I also think that he's got like an aerial supremacy on massive as well, and the numbers kind of reflect that too. So there's a good sort of balance there with him, I think. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll come on to our our teams for for Bryson um, towards the end of the podcast and see what we kind of think um, with that in terms of when he might be be featuring another player who returned to training though. Um, Someone a bit maybe a bit more under the radar, especially with with uh, Kanate returning, was Calvin Ramsey. Um, and Keller was back too, but doesn't really merit talking about too much that one. We we know he's just going to probably play um, against Derby and just in the cups. But Calvin Ramsey not really had a preseason because of injury. This is almost now going to be his preseason phase, you'd think. So maybe not straight into the side, but when he is match fit, Chris, what sort of role do you see him playing? That's a good question. Um, it's just it, it's nice to know he exists. First of all, <laughs> um, given obviously the the injuries and it was all it was a bit of a ghost injury, wasn't it? Really, in terms of it never really got defined in terms of what it was, and for such a young lad as well, um, you know, it, it it was frustrating start given how big a move it was for him overall, and obviously a big move for Aberdeen as well. When he's fit and fire him, um, I think. It's it's been interesting as well in the last few weeks when Alexander Arnold's been subbed early. I say last few weeks, last few months. Obviously, it's it's been so long uh, since Premier League action. But James Milner's come on in Alexander Arnold's place to play right back. Now, 
with all due respect to James Milner, of course, he's incredibly versatile and has done great things for the club, but that's not the first choice substitution that you'd be making in that situation. And Calvin Ramsey is still very much in development stage. Um, he got a lot of plaudits applaud to Aberdeen last year. And it'd be nice if there's a few situations where it's, it's 3-0, games feel uncomfortable, and then Alexander Arnold does get that rest with the five subs to bring on Ramsey and and play, um, get players way into into life at Liverpool. I think he's a player that I want to see a lot of certainly because I think he's got the potential to be exciting. You know, you compare what Nathan Patterson has done at Everton, and for them, it's it's a massive blow him getting injured in the nature that he did, and he's out until at least November, you would say. But I think he's in a similar mould to Patterson. And it can be a little bit difficult in that Patterson's now getting regular football at Everton or was before his injury. And Ramsey won't necessarily get regular football, if you want to call it that. But just the option to switch things up would be great. And it's the first time since Alexander-Arnold has really been first choice at Liverpool that you'd look at it and go, oh, there's a maybe a potential to try the midfield role that has been talked about so much with them as well. If Ramsey can go in at right back, but obviously that that waits to be seen. And that would be a big statement from from Klopp if so. But yeah, it's it's um, it's good, and nobody likes having a stop start beginning to a life at a new club at such a young age. But fingers crossed, he can stay fit now uh, for for the long haul. I think the injury was something that was flagged up in the medical i think it was kind of a like you say kind of a mystery injury that liverpool kind of identified and they were like okay we've got to manage this and and kind of thank god they did because you know it could have been a a longer absence maybe if it wasn't identified and he aggravated it um i think it's a good point you make about the substitutions and you know maybe not coming on as as the game changer necessarily i don't think he'd it would be viewed the same as the robertson simicast sub but I think if a game's won already, then that could be um, a good chance to bring him on and get him used to Premier League football, even if the, the kind of game state, if you like, is not necessarily the most representative. Um, it's a good way to, to bed someone into the side. So, yeah, I think definitely, based on what we're saying, full debut against Derby County seems like it could be a good target for him. And it's going to be exciting to see um, him because we've seen, obviously, Cavalio, but this is another sort of teenager who's really exciting that we've brought in for what looks like a bargain fee in the summer. So um, we're all keen to see him in action. But we'll move on to the Brighton game now on Saturday. And the the headline with Brighton is this is the first game for the new manager, at Roberto De Zerbi. Um, because Brighton as well have had a huge break between matches, um, about a month. So well, yeah. The work, yeah, yeah, the way it's worked out, it's um, it's his first match. And the strange thing with this is we see a lot of situations in a season where there's a managerial change um, and we see we might see a new manager bounce. But it's quite rare, and I can't think of the last example unless I'm missing a glaring one, that you see a team's manager poached when they're doing really well and then they have to appoint someone new. Um, and obviously we've seen that with Brighton and uh, Graham Potter going to Chelsea. So... Chris, what, what do you think of that in terms of the, the dynamics for Brighton now? Because they've brought in this new manager. They were doing well already. How much difference is it compared to a manager being sacked and replaced as opposed to a manager being sort of 
snatched away, really. And then you got to see if the replacement is going to be able to live up to his sort of legacy, I suppose. You got me thinking of poached managers now. That's going to annoy me for the rest of the day, but I'm going to th- I'm going to be thinking about that. Um, it's a really good question, that, and I've been thinking about this a lot because if Graham Potter was still in charge, I'd come on this podcast and I'd say, you know, we know what to expect from Brighton. Um, they're really disciplined in defence. They're really expansive as well going forward. Big fan of how Pascal Gross has started the season. Um, Alexis McAllister provides an interesting midfield role in terms of his set pieces. They're, they're fantastic and he's shooting from range. Um, Leandro Trossard's done really, really well as well so far. Um, this campaign and look, the, the back four, Veltman, Dunk, Duffy, sorry, Duffy, he's moved on. Uh, they were the old days, Veltman, Dunk and Webster rather. Um, but I almost feel I don't really know what to expect from Brighton now because Deserby, he comes in with a decent reputation from his work at Sassuolo and Shakhtar. He got Sassuolo eighth in Syria two years in a row. And I think if it wasn't for goal difference, he would have qualified them for the Conference League ahead of Roma as well, which would have been a massive thing for Sassuolo. And I don't think... Because the, the chairman of Brighton as well, he's a Brighton fan, so obviously he's worked in with the best interests of the club. And I think he's I think he'll have appointed somebody that he feels will effectively carry on the work that Potter created, carry on the legacy. Because Graham Potter... Um, you know, I know we were talking about England in this uh, podcast, and I think if it wasn't for the fact he's now at Chelsea, which I think makes it a bit more difficult, he'd probably be my first choice for the next England manager, really. Um, but he, Deserby, if he comes in and just say, basically says to them, look, I, I like how you've been doing. I want you to play the same way you did under Graham Potter, and Brighton will remain a threat. And I think they'll still remain a threat anyway, given how the club has uh, made themselves a really stable, quite exciting Premier League club. I'm not going to pretend that I'm, I'm an expert on him. Um, I'm aware of the work that he's done and, and how respected he is, certainly in the game in Italy. And Shakhtar, again, the, the work that he did with them helped enhance his reputation. But does it feel, Dave, that it's a bit, even though it's a squad that we know how well they're doing this season, it's a little bit of a venture into the unknown this game. It definitely is. And I hope, this is definitely wishful thinking, but... My hope is that, given the nature of the change, it's going to be something that takes a while to adapt to. You know, this team has basically been playing Graham Potter's style of, of football for a long time now, and, and maybe there's going to be something that requires, maybe something after the World Cup, really, that they kind of kick into gear. And certainly from our point of view, we hope that there are teeth and problems. As I'm saying that, I'm thinking... Brighton under Potter were a very adaptable side anyway, so maybe the, the, these players are sort of tactically flexible and will be able to adjust. Um, and the one thing I would say is, you know, I have a lot of confidence in kind of Brighton and the decisions they make about running the football club, and they seem to be among the best in the league, really, for that kind of strategic um, aspect. So I think it will prove to be um, a very good appointment, and he does look like another exciting name who's going to play uh, good football too, but in answer to the question about uh, managers who've changed mid-season, so I've got um, managers who've switched to other Premier League clubs during the season, so this isn't um, maybe going abroad, but obviously that's what Potter's done, going to Chelsea. Uh, he's the 11th manager to do so. Um, 
change Premier League clubs. The last one was uh, Pardew going from Newcastle to Palace in December 2014. Before that, you're looking to Owen Coyle going from Burnley to Bolton 2010. Mm-hmm. Redknapp from Portsmouth to Tottenham October 2008. Um, Steve Bruce, Birmingham to Wigan 2007. And then sort of Graham Sooner 2004 and a few others. So yeah, quite rare. I remember um, as well that, remember when Everton wanted Marco Silva and how public that was and then Watford fell apart. Yeah, and then um, obviously... The, he ended up uh, going there anyway. But... Yeah, the, rece- the reception, I think there were sort of snakes thrown at him and stuff um, afterwards when he when he went back to Vicarage Road as the, as the Everton manager. So, yeah, very interesting dynamic, I think, on that one. But to bring it back to Liverpool, because normally we would talk about the opposition a bit more, but seems we don't really know what to expect now. Um, we can't really go into too much depth with that. So let's look at the Liverpool perspective and we'll do our lineups now. So, Chris, obviously you've already hinted at um, the centre-back partnership, but what would the rest of your team look like? Yeah, so Alisson in goal. A lot of the defence kind of speaks for itself, especially this week as well with, with Robertson's pretty much confirmed absence. So Alisson in goal, back four, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Joel Matip, Virgil van Dijk and Kostas Simikas. The midfield, I'm thinking back to the 2-2 last season as well, um, because that was almost kind of a defining game under Graham Potter in terms of how Brighton never gave up, were able to play good football and get back into games. Um, I've gone for a midfield three of Fabinho, Thiago and Henderson. If Henderson, especially if, if uh, fully fit and firing, obviously went away with England. Just because I feel like that would be a more solid midfield to cope against Brighton's expansive football. Nothing against Harvey Elliott. I think he's been brilliant this season, but I just think it's a bit more of a solid foundation to work off. And then Diaz on the left-hand side, Salah on the right-hand side. And it's very good that Jota and Nunez had scoring international breaks, especially for Nunez, given how every training shot he seems to get ends up on Twitter one way or another. Um, But I have gone for Nunez. Because if we're going to integrate the guy, he's got to play games, hasn't he? I I would 1,000% start Nunez against Rangers. 1,000%. A little bit less certain about starting him against Brighton. I think Jota could easily play. But at the moment, I have Nunez as well. Given that, you've got Dunk and Webster, who are so good in the air. And I know Jota is as well. But I think Nunez could embrace the battle, really, in that aerial um, contest, which again we saw him win against Canada. So that that is my starting eleven. Well, quite a rare occurrence because I've got the exact same lineup. Hey, hey um, great minds! So, so I'm going to too much um, detail. The only thing I would say is, obviously, with with the midfield situation, it was a toss up again for me between Hendo, Hendo and Elliot. But I just kind of thought, whoever doesn't play this is probably going to play against Rangers. Um, yeah, and there was kind of not in my mind to suggest that. Um, I had a strong preference either way, really. So maybe Henderson here and Elliot midweek. The front line, I had thought about resting Diaz because people have been pointing out how much football he's played this season, uh, right, rightly so. And I thought about throwing Jota in, but then I remembered that Jota said in an interview after the Portugal game uh, the other day that he has to be taken off because of fatigue. So it seems like he's still building up his fitness. So. While he did start against Ajax before the international break, um, maybe 
a substitute berth for this one, um, potentially. But and that's that's nothing against Jota. It's about options, isn't it? And it, it's yeah. just great to see him back on the score sheet because last year when he was in form, he was an absolute nailed on certainty. So um, the more yeah. options, the better. And also, you know, hopefully with Nunez, we can get the uh, the boost from the goal against Canada. Um, yeah, like you alluded to there. And we'll finish with predictions. But before that, I just want to touch on um, the long break as well. Obviously, we've got to kind of address it. It was something we discussed in in the podcast um, after Ajax, um, immediately after um, about the challenges of that. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on it now? Do you think it's going to be a big issue in this game? Obviously, we Brighton are in a similar um, scenario as we talked about. Or could it be the case that, given that a lot of the, sort of the spine of the team have been on international duty, that they might still kind of have the the sharpness that we need? I think I think it'll be fine. I think the fact that a, the, a lot of the squad have been away means they've they've kept minutes in their legs, at least training wise, if nothing else. Um, I also tweeted as well. It, it, I think it's been a big international break for Virgil Van Dijk. Two clean sheets and and the goal. By his own admission, we saw the quotes the other week. He hasn't been happy with his start of the season, so I think it was really good for him to get a really good break um, away with Holland. And you know, it's it, he's very much deservedly, fingers crossed, touch wood, going to be going into the World Cup as as uh, as captain of Holland. And I'm really excited to see how he does there. Um, but yeah, look, it's been boring more than anything else. <laughs> Waiting for another Premier League game from the 3rd of September. Um, of course, we know the circumstances behind it. Um, and it's been similar for Brighton in a way. I mean, of course, their game against Crystal Palace got called off for a train strike, which never happened in the end. So I'm sure there'd be an element of frustration with their fans as much as anything. But no, I, I don't see the long break being too detrimental to either side as well, because, you know, these these are top athletes at the peak of their powers, aren't they? Um, so, yeah, if anything, Dave, I'm just absolutely glad and made up to say club football is back. Thank God for that. Definitely. And like you touched on there, you know, what I mentioned at the top of the podcast about all these players scoring goals and, and achieving success with their groups, you know, with the exception of Trent, who we could hopefully use that as motivation um the mood might be boosted a little bit especially given that we got to go into the break on high notes as well so hopefully the spirits are quite high um at the moment higher certainly than they've been at other points um in this early season so yeah last of all chris just a quick score prediction for saturday please i'm going to go liverpool to brighton and hove albion at nil and i've i've got the same margin but i'll go with the 3-1 um to us and hopefully we can build on that much improved performance against Ajax a while back. So, yeah, thanks for that, Chris. Um, we'll be back uh, for our next episode um, in between the Brighton game and the Rangers Champions League game. In the meantime, if you enjoyed this podcast, please do give it a five-star review. Uh, thanks to everyone who's done that already. Uh, by the way, we appreciate it. Um, and subscribe to the YouTube channel as well, which is in the podcast description. So we've got a big stretch of games now, uh, 13, I think, in the space of six weeks uh, before the World Cup. So stick with us for all of that um, and we'll be abreast of all the developments across this frantic dash to the World Cup. But yeah, until next time, take care.